listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started a podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Our guest today is Dallas Fletcher. Dallas is a Level 2 Canadian Certified Ski Instructor and runs one-on-one and group classes at Body Fabulous Fitness based out of Brisbane, Australia, specialising in postnatal pregnancy and female fitness. We talked to Dallas today about preparing for the snow in particular core strength, fitness, preparing our feet and how mastering our breath can maximise our on-snow performance. Hello, Dallas. How are you? I'm good, Emma. How are you? Excellent. So, Dallas, we've got you today from Body Fabulous. The reason why we've got you on today is to talk about how to get fit for skiing. So, if any of you would like to explain your amazing business, go for it. Sure. So um, I have been actually in the fitness industry since I was 17. I've had a real love for it. And I began back in the 90s when it was a lot of um, freestyle fitness. <laughs> and um, and basically lycra. it's, yeah, a bit of lycra, a bit of, you know, body step, <laughs> all of that. Um, and it was just a fabulous part-time job while I was in university. And then I loved it so much. I continued um during during a corporate career, I have had a career in marketing as well, but I think the best thing about fitness is it was a great career and took me overseas and um, I got to train people over there and also became a ski instructor in Canada. But then, um, yeah, and as I said, got back, started a corporate career in marketing and continued with fitness on the side. And then it wasn't until I actually became pregnant with my firstborn son, I thought, I really know, don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> and that actually led me down the path of then specialising a little bit more in women's fitness and pregnancy and postnatal fitness as well. And that's sort of where I am today, um, running my business called Body Fabulous Fitness. But in saying that, I, I don't just train women and pregnant women. A lot of the time I train, you know, parents <laughs> um, yeah. together. So there's sort of a, a quite a broad scope as well. And I always laugh because I, I actually went all the way to Canada to meet a Brisbane boy and we met skiing, so <laughs> who I'm well, now I've married got the to. Same story. I met my husband in Silver Star <laughs> when, and, I, and I grew up on the Gold Coast and met. Oh, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, still working, still working. It's all good. <laughs> so, so let's talk about firstly um, pregnancy and skiing. Did you ski while you were pregnant? Do you get... Do, Women come to you and go, should I do this? Is that a thing I should do? Yeah, I have been asked that and that was a question I asked. Um, it is definitely not recommended. It's one of those extreme sports like horse riding, etc. that is not recommended. I guess there's too many variables. Even if you're a good skier that, you know, if someone could easily run into you, you could fall off a lift or whatever. It's those extreme circumstances. I The only time I have been skiing while pregnant was while I was pregnant and didn't realise I was pregnant. So very, very early days. Um, and I guess that would probably be, I'm not a doctor, but that would probably be the only 
place you would probably recommend it when you don't even actually know you're pregnant so yeah, yeah. I have been skiing pregnant and I did get hit by someone <laughs> and so it was like a real <gasps> real aha moment but you know it was all okay yeah, me, it wasn't me who was the person that was out of control like although your balance is really yeah. weird too I didn't really enjoy mm. that but it wasn't the best experience either it's, it's a lot of money to ski so <laughs> don't waste it when That's you're pregnant. It. Yeah. I, I skied pregnant till I couldn't do my fly up. So it was only maybe 13 weeks or something. Yeah. 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 And, it, and I think it does. It just becomes uncomfortable too. I know like a lot of movement does. And it's, I guess it's quite hard to modify when you're skiing. You're sort of stuck in a position, the clothing you wear, you're not going to go and just buy a maternity ski outfit, are you, <laughs> for a week on the snow? <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, and I think from, um, you know, I think the World Health Organisation probably doesn't recommend it, yeah. <laughs> it is an extreme sport which people forget about, actually, because you are going down at speed, down icy slopes <laughs> on two wooden planks or on a snowboard, you know. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I've really, it's a question that we get asked too, actually, as mothers, like whether, but it's really a personal opinion, I think. It is, and it's like anything, and I think it, this, it comes back to a lot of other stuff during pregnancy. Some people say you can't run while you're pregnant, but I guess it's trusting your own instinct, trusting your own judgment, you know, and again, a lot of accidents happen that, as you said, Tanil, is not your fault. Can be someone running into you, can be equipment failing, etc. Yeah. So you just got to. I always say you got to weigh up the risk versus the reward. And pregnancy is temporary. Um, mm-hmm. Injury can be long term. So sort of weighing that up in your mind, what what sort of works best for you? Yeah, that's a good tip. So um, let's start at our feet. Um, the whole concept of like you know feet. And skiing is the biggest thing people complain about is sore feet and all sorts of things like that, Boot, boots don't fit and all that. Is there anything you can do to prepare your feet? Can you talk us through feet? Feet, I have had many an issue with boots. Even when I was in Whistler, you know, training to do my level one and two uh, Canadian ski instructors course, I remember coming back down the mountain on the bus and telling my boyfriend at the time, now husband, to get the boots off my feet and literally crying as you pulled them off me because I was in so much pain. Um, And I have been on a long journey trying to find the perfect boot and I probably still haven't found it and even gone down that avenue where you can get someone to, you know, one of those amazing professionals to blow out your boots and take all those little nooks and crannies out. So I don't know if there's ever a perfect solution from a boot point of view. Um, I think that's a lot of trial and error, but I think um, in this day and age there is um, a lot of only recent research that is showing us how connected our feet are to the rest of our body. So, and particularly to our, our core and also our jaw. And it goes right back to being a little fetus um, when you were, you know, just born and everyone was a fetus once in their life. And you basically have two little slits in you. One is your mouth and one is basically your pelvic region. And there's a meridian that runs down the back of you and that then extends and becomes your feet. And that meridian is joined. So it's all connected. And I think it's really important. I think the latest research was actually 2018, um, just the connection between ankles 
um, hips and jaw is uh, is all connected. Um, that is hilarious. So, Sorry, can I just interrupt? Because I often say when I was a ski instructor, I, I used to say to people, can you please smile? Because they used to grit their jaw. Mm. So that was where all their stress was. So probably because it was connected to their oh, hips. Oh, 100%. That's what you talk about as ski instructors. Bend your ankles, keep your hips up, you know, like how funny. Totally. And they're probably clawing their toes at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and it's um and it's really common. I mean, I deal a lot with women um, and women's pregnancy, and a lot of that tension, if they're holding tension in their jaw, is tension in the pelvic floor. And not only women have a pelvic floor, men have a pelvic floor, and the foundation of your core is your pelvic floor. So when you think about the structure of a house, for example, um, you know, the top of the house isn't very stable if the foundation isn't optimal. And you know, and that foundation is really connected to our feet. So there's a lot of research that, you know, is found now that a lot of people with plantar fasciitis often have uh, issues with their jaw, issues with their pelvic floor as well. Um, so it is all connected. So that's just the first point that it's a global thing. Um, but there is a lot of stuff that we can do to prepare our feet. And I think often, you know, when we think about our poor feet holding us up most of the day, we often don't give them much attention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and often there's issues with them and everyone just sort of defaults to, oh, I'm just going to get orthotics, which is great, can work. But what about, you know, just tuning into your feet a little bit more? And I think that's the most important thing is, um, you know, doing a little bit of self-discovery about your feet. When was the last time you actually walked around in bare feet? How did it feel? How does it feel on carpet? How does it feel on hard floors? You know, are you finding any pockets of tension in your feet? And as you say, um, a lot of the time when I train people, I get them to do their exercises in no feet. I mean, no shoes, not no feet. <laughs> That'd be even more fun. Uh, no shoes because, you know, it's a lot better way to tune in to your posture, your alignment, and as you said to Neil, where you're holding those pockets of tension. Are you gripping through your toes? You know, are you feeling strain in your feet? And also, what sort of shoes are you wearing? You know, for a lot of women who spend a lot of time in high heels or squeezing themselves into those fabulous-looking shoes, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I love shoes. But just, you know, tune into, okay, how are you feeling, you know, two days after wearing them? Have you got tension in your calves? Have you got tension in your hips? Have you got sore knees? Is it all connected? So I think that's the first thing is a little bit of self-discovery as well. Um about your feet and how the rest of your body is reacting to either what you've had on your feet or what you're doing with your feet. Are orthotics a Band-Aid solution? Um, I mean, I'm not an orthopaedic surgeon, but I I don't think they're a Band-Aid solution. I think some people definitely need them and I think, um, but I do think there's some people who, um, might just self-diagnose and go out and buy inserts for their shoes and say, I need these, Um, you know, I can't walk without these, and they haven't given themselves a chance for their feet to actually, you know, improve in mobility and strength. Um, So I guess anything can be a band-aid solution if it starts becoming a crutch, Mm. but I guess it depends on everyone's condition of their feet and why they're actually wearing them. So if you have seen a specialist who definitely recommends them, um, but... From my experience, for, for, for people who have had fish, feet issues, whether they're, say, a physio or, you know, um, 
someone a bit more specialised, or even down to the point where there's an orthopaedic surgeon, it's always about, okay, you need to do something with and without it and tune into, you know, okay, maybe you're going to be exhausted, you're going to be in a feed all day and you need them, or if you're not doing much, why don't you just give your feet a chance to tune into how you're feeling as well? Mm-hmm. How do we strengthen our feet? What do we do? We is it as simple as taking our socks off and getting on the ground, or like what? Yeah, there's ball? lots. Of, yeah, the tennis ball under the feet. So I think I think you know, for everyone, we spend so much time seated, um, yeah. you know, and seated in chairs and at desks, and you know, if you are seated and you're on, like which everyone has done in the last, you know, couple of years, everyone's on Zoom calls, putting a tennis ball underneath your desk, rolling your feet on that tennis ball or rolling it on a physio ball. Sometimes the tennis ball is not as vicious. I even like to say like one of those uh, dog balls, they're a little bit firmer, and rolling it on your feet and feeling into where you might have you know, little pockets that might feel a little bit funny they might be tender, they might be tight. And even when you're rolling on it, oh, you start feeling that in your jaw. You're starting to feel it in your hips. Um, and just, yeah, rolling your feet out and giving them a little bit of attention. Um, you know, dorsal flexion movements are really good. So for a lot of a lot of people, um, you know, simple calf raises in no shoes. And it doesn't mean calf raises, you know, going really fast and doing them, but I'd sort of say raising up actually onto the balls of your feet and spreading your toes and lowering back down and treating it almost like you're doing a bicep curl. So feeling into the movement and the contraction and the release through your feet because we've got so many tiny bones in our feet um, and a lot of time we're rushing while we're on our feet. We spend so much time rushing and not really slowing down and feeling into that movement as well. Yeah. So the flexion of the dorsal, is that your ankle? What you're talking about yeah ankles as well and I think a lot of the time people don't have that ankle mobility as well yeah. um you know they might be doing stuff and 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 I guess people really find that when you're suddenly in a ski boot and you are in that flex position and you could feel a lot of pain because you're not used to flexing your ankle at that angle as well and there'll be calf cramps there'll be toe cramps there'll be knee issues so I think just finding that mobility and a lot of the time everyone thinks, I've just got to get fit for skiing. I've got to increase my cardio, all of that. It's like you actually probably need to focus a little bit more on mobility first and how yeah. you're moving and creating a bit of space in your body um, before you add that extra layer of, you know, adding strength and conditioning. But also all of this um, getting our feet healthy, that will help with circulation as well, I would imagine, which is a big thing. 100%. Yeah, big thing. And I'm always the one for getting cold toes as soon as my feet get wet and I can feel the circulation. I mean, I've struggled. I did ballet for 12 years, so I've got terrible feet after shoving my feet into ballet shoes for so long. And um, I've actually got quite big feet. I'm not a big fan of my feet. (laughs) It's probably my worst feature. And they've always given me issues. (laughs) So... um, so yeah, that was that's always been my biggest gripe while my while I'm skiing is actually um, you know, finding boots that actually fit and I feel comfortable. And you know, they might be great on the first day, but by the second and third day, I can hardly move in them. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's the most important thing is self discovery, discovering how you're moving with no shoes on. Try your workout 
in no shoes. I don't mean going for, you know, a 10K run maybe in no shoes, but even a simple run along the beach in sand and seeing how your feet respond to that, different surfaces. Because I think that's the most important thing with skiing as well. You're travelling across so many different surfaces, which very often we're not used to. Um, Our feet aren't used to. We're just in shoes. We're sort of walking that same footpath or whatever. And if you haven't sort of, you know, trained your alignment, your body, your feet for that adjustment, um, can also be another factor as well. Yeah, so I, I feel like it's this, the way that we're having the chat, it's not so much about the fitness but it's about the alignment to get the body ready for the fitness. So this is like the precursor to a fitness, is that right? Is that what we're kind Yeah, of I always like to say think about your prehab before your rehab. Yeah. So yep. prehabilitation and don't throw out, don't ever think that just, doing some mobility work, some stretches, um, you know, like what we said, the ball under the foot doesn't count because too many people are like, oh, you know, that's not going to count. That's not going to benefit me. That's not a proper workout. It is probably actually going to make your workouts better and you're able to sustain more consistency when you work out um, Mm. and also not end up not having to end up doing the, the rehab because you've been doing the prehab. Yeah. Is that, does that lead different. on to your um like your is it I know that Tanil's just had a knee operation, mm. but does it lead on to better knee health? Oh, absolutely. Better knee health, hip health, um back health. Like yeah. yeah, it's all connected. I just think um I think you know we've got to sort of look at the body as more global movements and it even comes back to a simple thing when I come back to women's health people often think okay I've got pelvic floor issues I just need to do kegels and it and like what I said it's not just about that it's your jaw it's your hips it's your feet where else is that showing up and you know where's it showing up and what sort of movements because you might have issues when you do one thing but not when you do another thing so let's just look at how the body's working as a whole. Um, and definitely, it, like, like there's definitely local, I like to say there's local focus and there's global focus. So both need to be combined. But sometimes I think we become so pinpoint on just that area, like, okay, I just need to focus on the knee or I just need to focus on the foot. But, yeah, tuning into, you know, the rest of your body um, and just looking as well at, at your posture when you see what do you do with your feet when you're standing, like even not just in a workout, but as you go about your day, you know, particularly for women, when you're holding kids, you've got one on the hip, your hips are out of alignment, your knees are probably a little bit ski with, your feet are probably a bit ski with, you're probably wearing non-optimal shoes or, you know, you've bought everyone else in the family shoes except you. <laughs> so, um, I know but it's never going to be a perfect world and it and I just think I was like you know you don't need to have your perfect pants on and it's never going to be perfect but I think just um you know just those little micro adjustments or little little things can make a big difference in the long run when you discover them Mm. absolutely start somewhere hey like and so are you saying that we should start looking at the feet first or you come in and go oh I'm a little bit oh Dallas I'm a little bit sore in my hip and you'll go oh let's have a look at something different for you because it might not be your hip that might be the outcome yeah well I guess the the first place I start with people is I just get them to stand there with no shoes on and just say show me how you're standing and I guess 
particularly for women after you've been pregnant or after you've been, as I said, being pulled in all different directions with children, it's really kind of hard to stand there without a bag in your hand, Mm -hmm. um, without equipment to work out and just go, actually, how am I meant to stand? And very often you might be locking your knees out, you might be tucking your tailbone under, which um, can affect your pelvis, your knees. And I think particularly for women, we've been told for a very long time, draw your belly button to start, draw your belly button to spine, you know, grip, tuck that tailbone, squeeze that booty. And it actually really affects our posture, which at the end of the day is probably going to affect those local areas like your knees, hips and feet as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And coming back to that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. sorry, Just coming coming back to that, um, I think, which I should have said at the beginning, is when we think of core, um, the core is not just your six-pack. It's everything in between your shoulders and your hips. And I think, again, everyone forgets about that. It's Again, it's not just this little local area here. It's actually everything. And everything is connected to that area, your arms and your legs, your levers and your limbs. So there can be a lot of different factors going on in different areas between that whole that whole core. Yeah, I, I think, you know, skiing, you've been a ski teacher yourself it's it's you you start at your feet because the feet are connected to the ski mm. but, but it's it's really interesting because if they don't have that body posture of they're a little bit you know backwards or a little bit then everything is out in the whole scheme so you have to go back to the basics so I love that we've started at the feet first and now we kind of work up through the body and do you think do you think maybe like if you have more body and you don't have as much like do you if you have enough strength in your body fear can disappear when you go maybe on a ski hill a little bit because you're you trust your body a little bit more so in a situation totally totally Mm. I think I think um you know I think a lot of people I mean my whole philosophy is let's use exercises and movement as a way to connect better to your body not just a tool to change it And I think in the whole bigger picture of exercise and movement, very often a lot of people do that rather than actually doing exercise and movement and slowing down and feeling, okay, oh, if I, oh, I'm leaning a little bit this way. And it comes back to skiing. It might be like, oh, I've got a little bit too much pressure on my big toe and that's making me go wonky. So I think not just strengthen your body, but body awareness Mm -hmm. is going to make it a lot easier to overcome that fear trust your body and know, you know, you know, I think once you've had experience as a skier or you're better connected to your body, you're going to have more confidence, you're not going to fall over, or you're going to know, oops, I'm a little bit out of alignment, that's going to make me fall over (laughs) or I'm on a bad angle here. And trusting that you can also probably get yourself out of those situations, maybe. I I, I feel (laughs) like I'm, I'm definitely guilty of when I know I've got skiing coming up, I will start, my training is I'll start running because I want to feel fit on the snow and I feel like I'm getting more out of my day. But I would never, I think, if I think back, I probably used to do where I'd be like, um, what do you call it, like sit down the wall? What do you call those? Mm-hmm. Wall sits. Wall sits. I'd do that. That's for thighs. But I would never really think to prepare my core or my feet or pelvic floor even. And um, yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking how it's all so connected, and it ma- and it does make you feel stronger, but you never really think of it. 
or I don't. No, and I think, do you know what it comes down to as well, which I find it's it's very, very simple and which everyone disregards, is the fact that your diaphragm is inside your core and it's connected to your core and how are you even breathing? Like not only when you get into a fearful situation when you're skiing, is your breath or a fearful situation in life in general or when you're stressed, most people hold their breath or their breath lengthens up to their throat. Mm-hmm. It's not lengthening down to your diaphragm. And one of the best ways for core activation is actually just that diaphragm breathing and finding length in your breath is going to actually give you natural core activation. Where do you, and if, you're doing it, if you're doing it at home, where on the body are you feeling your diaphragm? So the simple thing is just to put your hands on your ribs Relax your shoulders, relax your feet, relax your jaw, and even just close your eyes and just start breathing and just naturally feel your ribs expand and contract and try not to force it, but just start to feel, okay, where is my breath landing? And it's a good thing to do when you are actually, you know, a lot of the time when people come into a class with me and they're rushing, they've tried to get a park or whatever, and I say, okay, come in, let's just feel where that breath is landing. Is it in your throat? Is it in your chest or can you find a little bit more length down into your ribs? And for many of us, and particularly women who have been pregnant and you've had your lungs up around your ribcage or up around your throat, we've actually lost that neural pathway from our brain to our body connection of lengthening our breath. And for a lot of the time, it's just repatterning and teaching your brain, okay, let's just slow down and find a little bit more length in our breath and feel our rib cage expand and not grip our belly. You know, it yeah. becomes the point where you're not going to activate and train and strengthen your core by gripping it. Like we don't do a bicep curl and grip it up the top. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we don't do that with any other muscle in our body. So why do we do it with our core? Let's just allow the levers connected to it and the breath connected it connected to it to help it move and join in on the action <laughs> when it can and strengthen that way. And at the same time, when we talk about getting stressed or overwhelmed or, you know, looking down that mountain or feeling, you know, a few deep breaths is actually going to also trigger what you call the vagus nerve, which is down here, which you might have heard about it, which which basically switches switches you out of flight or fight response, um, you know, that little bit of panic state and drops us back down into rest and digest which is going to give you a lot more mental clarity to focus on that. So it's really fascinating how connected it is. I love that um, because whenever we get to the snow, we've had to dress two kids, three kids, they're crying, shove their foot in their boot, carry their skis, go across, dump them at ski school. You know, they're crying again, not dump them, sorry, sorry, beautiful children, but, you know, drop them, them off, carefully. nurture them at yeah, take them carefully, drop them off, and then you're like, ah, all this time, and then your hubby's coming, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. What's happening? And you, so by the time we actually get to a slope as a, you know, maybe any person, I've never really thought of stopping and breathing. I've always just got, maybe that's that chairlift, you know, when you first get on the chairlift mm. and you see your legs. Yeah. 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 That- <laughs> and how good is that transition? You get that chairlift ride and you can breathe. You probably don't do it as much if you're on a T-bar. That's a whole different story. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's actually but, a really um, good way to reconnect and go, okay, when you're at the sl- slopes every morning, because it's the same thing every day, you know, you are dropping your children off at daycare, especially if they're under, you know, if they're under 10, 
they're the hardest yards with the kids. <laughs> oh, totally. I've done it. It's really hard. It's really hard. The hardest part is just getting the gear on them. And it is. It's overwhelming, stressful, and you really want them to love it because you love it so much and um, yes. you want it to be a good experience day life. We just don't stop. And when we do stop, we just sit there scrolling and just notice when you're scrolling on your phone or doing stuff, I'm actually breathing. There's actually a really good book by a, a guy called James Nestor and he's done a lot of research and it's just called Breathe. And he's done amazing research on how it's basically the foundation of, of any form of health is just coming back to our breath um, and how life. we've all just forgotten how to, yeah, and how we've forgotten to breathe. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's, it's funny. I was saying to Tanil before because um, we go skiing quite a bit together and, you know, we, you go, if you're going off air, off, you know, at Perisher or something and, you know, we're all in a pack and we're all pushing, getting down the bottom or whatever, and one of us stops and so we all stop. And we're all just like, you know, we're all just kind of clagging, puffing, going, oh, my God, I feel so unfit, you know, if you haven't skied for a, a while or whatever, beginning of the season. And how can you even control that breathing when you're like, is there a way to breathe so that you're not puffing like a puffing billy? Well, I mean, there's all different factors because, you, as you probably know, when you're pregnant, you feel like you're really unfit and you've lost your breath. Um, and most women say to me when they get pregnant, oh, my God, I thought I was fit and suddenly I can't breathe. Um, and that has to do with, you know, you, your more blood volume, your, heart is, your heart's working harder to pump that blood around your body. Um, and so for pregnant women, they feel breathless, but they're actually not unfit. <laughs> you just got a lot more and it's pumping that oxygenated blood to the baby and giving it priority over you but at the same time um there is there's cardio fitness which is going to help you there's also altitude which makes it harder <laughs> to breathe mm-hmm. i mean it's not extreme altitude in australia but it is definitely altitude and also um i think yeah just learning to get that that breath down into your lungs and get that oxygen further into your body and and if your breathing pattern is better you're going to be able to probably you know not feel as puffed um it's it's really it's a really interesting concept and that's why you know a lot of things like you've heard about ice baths and people learn how to breathe in those and get comfortable with the uncomfortable and the first thing people do is hold their breaths and it's learning how to find that length in their breath where there's where it's uncomfortable so it's not necessarily just fitness as well it's um it's a variety of factors what what do you think is the i mean the way i get fit for my ski trips which is you know running do you think there is a better way to get fit if i also add in my feet preparation core strength and breath work and all that is there a better way to go into the ski trip well, I think definitely resistance training and resistance training doesn't just mean lifting weights. It can be body weight. It can be with bands. It can be using equipment like, you know, yes, small weights. It can be using a fitball. It can be a variety. It can go in swimming, a bit of water resistance because when you're in the snow, it's hard work. You're lifting equipment. You're resisting against you know, different textures of snow. And I always like to say, I think if you've skied in Australia, you can pretty much ski anything because you're scared of rocks, ice, <laughs> every, a bit of everything in each run. So, you know, it's a great way to prepare. <laughs> um, so um, I think resistance training is really, really important. And I think with that combined with mobility work um, is really important. And on top of that, combining 
how are you breathing when you move? So for most people, I like to say one of the best ways is just learning how to exhale on the effort. So a lot of the time we hold our breath or a lot of the time, even if you're, you know, tune into it while you're skiing down the hill, are you actually breathing? Are you holding your breath the whole run? That might be another way, what reason why you're out of breath at the end. Mm. But if you think about your core, it's almost like you've got a can of soda in it or a can of Coke. And a lot of the time, if we're not letting that air out of our mouth, um, a lot of time we're holding our breath and we're putting a lot of pressure internally in this core and it's pushing either down here on the midline of our core or down on our pelvic floor. And this is sort of learning this pressure control as well, finding length in our breath and combining that with resistance is what, what is actually natural breath work. So it's going to help you with breath work. It's going to help you to basically build strength. Um, so, you know, moving your muscles with resistance, combining with breath work and combining your mobility work, I think is um, is a great way. And I think as well, getting out of that mindset that, um, you know, I have to feel the burn or I need to be red-faced and sweaty for it to count. Um, it's basically, you know, how do you feel after that workout? I like to say, do you feel like you could do that all again tomorrow? Awesome. That's probably the most optimal way you've worked out rather than just, okay, let's just go hard and go hard for two weeks and I should be fit and ready to go. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then you can't carry the groceries the next day. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's always extremely disappointing though if you are skiing and you feel like, God, I should have really used a couple of weeks before I'm down here to to get myself in a more physical condition, in a better physical condition because you just feel like, oh, I can get so much more out of my day if I feel good, if I feel strong. Yeah. I don't think I'm a great breather on the slopes, but now that you're talking, I'm thinking, God, it, that's right, it does feel so much better when we're deliberately breathing into the turns and all that kind of thing. Mm. And also I think, um, you know, like, I think don't discount like what we've just talked about, carrying all the gear, carrying the kids. Like that takes a toll on your body. It's not actually just the skiing itself. Um, mm. It's it's just the getting there and the whole stress of carrying stuff as well. And that that's physical. Um, and you almost have to, I like to say, you know, when you work out, it's not just the workout. Think about what you're doing, doing during the day as well and how you're holding your body, how you're breathing, how's your strength when you do that. You're really struggling to carry the groceries. Well, maybe we need to, look, you know, look at a bit of bit more movement that's a bit similar to that and that's where we come that's called functional training so basically making sure you function better during the day or you're going to function better to that end goal which might be skiing or it might just be carrying the kids gear up the slope and getting them dressed yeah do you think like a cheats way almost would be doing a pilates class three times a week or is that not going to work (laughs) i i i you know there's Everything works differently for everybody. Um, I don't think there's any cookie cutter method. Um, I think, yes, if you're going to, if you want to build strength and conditioning, it depends on what sort of Pilates class it is. I teach Pilates and there's different styles of Pilates. There's dance-based Pilates. I teach more functional-based Pilates. I was trained by physios. Um, I think it's, you know, speaking to someone who might have experience in it, who can guide you and maybe write your program or give you guidance on, okay, you know, if you've got a knee issue, this may not be optimal for you. You don't want to strain your knees too much before we go skiing. Or are you? where are you feeling it most when you ski? Is it your feet? Is it your neck? Is it, you know, your hips? Because I know 
always, you know, when you're down skiing for a week or go away, everyone gets halfway point of that week and they're aching, they're sore, they're tired. And Thanks. it's like, yeah, and you want to keep going. You don't want to stop. So what is going to give you that endurance or what is going to help you recover? It can also come down to nutrition. You know, mm. maybe a bit of magnesium helps, magnesium barbs as well. Mm. Um, it's really hard to say. There's there's not really any set program. Kind and of I six guess weeks out from the ski season. Is it? Definitely is- at least six to eight weeks I think you should be thinking about so- if and you if, if, I, if I came to you now and said I'm going to the snow in eight weeks, like and I have sore knee or I have knee issues and I'm not that fit, I eat reasonably well, what could you tell me to do better? I think one of the best movements, and there's actually research done on this, um, are squats. And, and it's going to probably, if you're looking for some golden nugget, this is probably the movement that is going to cover the most bases. So when you're squatting, you're going to help your legs. And when I say squats, you don't need to be dropping your butt lower than your knees. You don't have to be doing really deep squats. You don't need to be doing heavy weights on your squats. You could just be holding a can of beans in each hand. Or, you know, if you do have back or knee pain, I often say put like a basketball behind your back or a football behind your back, which is going to help you get into a bit of posture and help you stay upright and roll up and down the wall with that behind you. And at the same time, you're going to be able to tune into your feet, how your feet feeling when you're doing this, how your knees feeling. And when you're moving, inhale on the way down, exhale on the way up. And as I said, research has actually proven that that actually trains your core at the same time. As long as you're not coming up and tucking that butt under and squeezing those glutes, you've got to just allow it to, you know, release and contract. And then from there, the best thing with squats is you can add a bit of variety. Yeah, maybe add some resistance, maybe change the tempo of them, you know, down, down, up, up, or three down, one up. And, and you know, you don't need much for that. You could do that in your room. You could do that in your pajamas. And, you know, maybe build it up, start with five a day, start with 10, 15, 20, and then go back to five, add your resistance or, or change the tempo. So really simple, but it's probably going to help you cover all bases and also help you feel into how the mobility is in your knees as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, wow. I'm just sitting here going, oh, wow, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. No, <laughs> I'm lucky I've kind of been rehabbing for my knee, but normally before a ski season I just take it as, oh, I can ski, I won't have any drama. But as I'm getting older, wow, the preparation needs to be longer. I remember my mum and dad always saying, I can't wait till you ski with us when you're 50. And I'm like, oh, I'm there nearly. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I do need to prep. Like, And I, I, and I, think, that I think it's like I have an 18 and a 15, well, nearly an 18-year-old, but I think they need to prep too because their bodies are still growing and they play a lot of sport, so they need to really kind of get into the squats and into the ski mind as well. I really love the connection of the feet to the whole exercise. Where can where can our listeners find out more more stuff about Body Fabulous? Like I'm just oh they can find me. I've got a website bodyfabulous.com.au. I'm on Instagram at bodyfabulousfitness. So you can send me a DM there if you need to. Um, you can find or follow me there. Do you have our um, online classes and what are they? 
Yeah, I do. I do have online classes. At the moment, they're quite geared up to pregnancy and postnatal, but there is something in the pipeline that is going to be a little bit more broader. And as I said, oh, I've also got a little HIT program as well, which actually would be great for your, for your listeners, which is for anybody. And yeah. when I say HIT workout, that's not just, you know, getting to the point of exhaustion. It's basically got lots of different levels in it and we cover off lots of different forms of resistance and movement and it's suitable from anyone who's pregnant to not. Um, and you can, you know, do as many rounds as you want in that program as well. And, um, yeah, I can send you guys some details about that so you can um, awesome. yeah, definitely yeah. share that. Yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. I've learnt, you know, you do a lot of exercise. We're, we're healthy people and kind of do a lot of sport you know about it, but you don't really sit back and think about the breathing or starting from your feet. Uh, yeah, I always, I'm always the uh, the rehabber, not the prehabber. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the new motto. But it's really, it is really interesting, and and often like probably for you, Tanil, you've gone through an injury, which also gives you another perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's interesting because I had my first knee reconstruction at 19, and this one at 46. So what a difference! Same knee. But what a difference in rehab and age, you know. It just took so – like the rehab was faster because of technology, like the actual – but the the muscle is uh, – yeah, it takes a long time to stick around. If I don't do it for two weeks, you know, it's like, ah, <laughs> where'd it go? Where'd the muscle go? Come back. <laughs> but, yeah, it, and, I mean, that's also how I sort of ended up because I've been in fitness for a very young age and I'd always just – gone hard you know done everything pretty hard pretty intense and you know I used to teach two classes in a row and then jump on a treadmill and do another half hour after that and I didn't think things counted unless I was red-faced and then as I said when I became pregnant myself I thought I don't know much and then it was really interesting a lot of people in the fitness industry couldn't really guide me my obstetrician couldn't guide me on what to do and that's when, I mean, my son's now uh, 14. So that was, you know, 14 years ago. So th- the only way I discovered it was taking myself up down to Melbourne and training with some women's health physios there and just opened me up to this world of how everything is so connected and, yeah, um, yeah makes such a difference when you actually slow down and, and feel into the movement and never feel like you're not doing enough. Yeah. And for us, you know, as well, like being old ski instructors back in the day, we had to wear men's boots, men's skis, men's, you know, and now they've actually, they like the CSIA now focuses on women's teaching, you know, teaching women and they have women's skis, women's boots, which is really quite amazing because it is we have a different body from a male. So. Oh, that is, I know that is actually, it's so true. And um, actually I've trained a, a woman who's actually in the police force. She's a detective. And. She, of course, has had to still work during pregnancy and after, and she just complains about the uniform and how the belt is just so uncomfortable with all the gear on her hips, the seats in the car, the bucket seats were impossible to sit in while she's pregnant, all completely designed not for a female body. Mm. And all those little things have made a massive difference to her recovery and her health as well to actually get back to a really physical job. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's great to see that that progression is is happening. It certainly is, yeah. And it's good that we can, you know, take take this into skiing as well because, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of women skiing. <laughs> and, and actually one thing we, we touched on um, pelvic floor briefly, but, and, and I'm, I will say that the, the 
topic that maybe people don't want to say, but I know when you come out of pregnancy and you're like, got, you're like, I might have to edit this. <laughs> Do you, especially in you, I found that I would get back into my running, my long distance running and have to wear pads and stuff. How can women, we see that all these beautiful young women who are having these babies and everything, how can they best go into their ski trip after they've had their babies and not have to wear a pad or do they have to? Well, first of all, um, no, the pad's not the solution. Um, for most of women, yes, anyone, in fact, it's really interesting, 50% of women who have ever had a baby are going to have pelvic floor concerns regardless of what type of birth you've had. It doesn't matter if you've had a C-section or not. Birth is birth. You still had the weight of a baby on your pelvic floor. And whether it happens post-birth, it might even happen later down the track, you know, when you're 60s or 70s. So it's, I like to say your pelvic floor is like any other muscle in your body. We talked about it being the foundation of your core. And if your pelvic floor hasn't healed properly or it's got issues, would you go running on a sprained ankle if it was giving you issues or feedback? Mm. Probably not. But yeah. so many women push through it and think, oh, I'm just going to wear a pad. Mm. It's not that wrong. It, it happens to everyone. No, this is where you probably need your rehab, okay? First step I say is go and see a women's health physiotherapist. Get assessed because it's a muscle we can't see. It's a very deep muscle. And sometimes actually for probably for 90% of women, it's not actually a weak pelvic floor. It's an overactive or a hypertonic pelvic floor. For women, we saw a lot of tension down in that area. Um, and particularly in the last probably three years, there's been this subliminal layer of extra tension. And it's almost like we come back to the bicep curl. If you've got an overactive muscle and it's really tight and some, and this can also be exacerbated by people thinking, okay, my pelvic floor is weak, I just need to do more Kegels. But if you're doing more Kegels on this poor, tight muscle, that muscle is going to become exhausted. And then when you do need to go to run or pick up something, it's going to be so fatigued, it just can't even activate. <laughs> it can't activate, it can't, you know, hold in, it can't support you. And so it's learning how that muscle can actually um, contract and release like any other muscle in our body. And as I said, squats are a great way, but squats might not be optimal for you. So you kind of need to go and get that assessment done. And in Australia, you don't need a doctor's referral to go and get assessed by a women's health physio. And I work quite closely with a lot of women's health physios and it's such a fabulous map basically to say, okay, this is where we're at. This is what we need to do. And you don't need to be embarrassed about it. Like 80% of women would have had a baby or are going to have a baby. So it's a really important part that you need to be, you know, considering no matter what sport you do, whether it's skiing or whatever, because you don't want to be uncomfortable. And yeah. it is. It's like any other muscle in your body and you can prehab rehab it, <laughs> which is going to help you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Before no, your ski trip, sorry, ski trips, because you've skied Japan and Australia and Canada and everywhere else in the world, which is exciting. Um, what what do you do to prepare? What's your top tip? Um, yeah, the, my main thing is probably first of all mobility, like yeah. mobility and posture. Um, I find yeah, and all my my feet. I have a lot of feet issues, so rolling out my feet, focusing on my mobility and posture doing my squats, doing a little bit of strength and conditioning work. I used to be a massive cardio addict. I hardly do that much cardio anymore. And it's actually put me in a better stead 
for my my whole body and my you know sustaining exercise and what I do I definitely you know cardio is great I don't throw it out I just don't feel like it's something I have to do all the time um and yeah that would probably be my main thing and then also just um I get quite tight carbs and making sure I'm sort of finding a bit of mobility there what I often go and do is actually go and do some yoga classes because for me it's more about slowing down taking the edge off breathing better and you know just tuning into my body a bit better and um yeah preparing for (laughs) for the ski trip yeah as we know a lot of the common uh problems that i guess people have in the snow is that they lean back so they've always got sore quads (laughs) Mm. so and that's based on fear obviously and kind of like balancing a bit like committing yourself to a turn how if you're sitting there on wednesday what would you say about to fix a quad would you stretch it out or opposite (laughs) yeah definitely definitely stretching out your quads I think I think getting a foam roller rolling them out you know it's no different to the tennis ball under the feet feeling into where the lumps and bumps are don't feel like you know if it is tight and sore that you're gonna go more like let's create some space before we add more tension um and just feeling into what sort of movements, like if you've got tight quads, is it coming from your hips? Maybe you're a little bit tight and locked up in your hips. Um, often, you know, if you're tight in your glutes, you might be getting a bit of lower back pain as well. So just feeling into a bit of, you know, creating space in your body, I think, is the best way. And that can be different for everybody. It might be, you know, if you're a runner, just slowing down and going for a walk instead and focusing on your breathing and feeling into your feet a bit more. Yeah. All of that. So maybe, you know, take it down a notch before we go into something full pelt. Yeah, yeah, so true. Do you recommend while people are on a ski holiday, you know how everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to go have a massage? Do you think that's so Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think also a massage even before you leave is good. Oh, <laughs> you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just know, that. like just, yeah, you know, like, Again, the prehab, go and have a massage. The massage therapist can probably tell you a, a bit more about where you might be holding pockets of tension in your body um, yeah. and just be aware of that. Okay, maybe that will show up while I'm skiing, like if that's a little bit of a niggle now. I always say, you know, if your body's starting to whisper to you, you don't want to you don't want to make it yelling. So that might be a good way to tune into, you know, if there are little any niggles that are coming along and to get onto them before, you know, you're out in the middle of the ski slopes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I really love it. So I guess we all, have you got any more questions, Emma, or we, because I know you've got time, Dallas, we're strict for time. <laughs> uh, uh, no, 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 it's all covered, um, pelvic floor, feet, um, breathing, preparedness, what, any, anything, do you find, well, I actually, I do have one more question nutritionally speaking for preparedness for me I mean I'm not a huge junk food or snack whatever but person however that's the layer I would take away if I want to if I think I'm going to the snow and I want to get fit because I feel like there's a one week delay in when I do that a week later I feel much better do you have anything to add so clearing out the junk food yeah yeah, and I think, well, 
I think um, what's really important is your muscles are going to be working really hard while you're preg- while you're pregnant while you're skiing that as well <laughs> as pregnant. And I think um, making sure you're eating enough protein, and that doesn't mean you know having five steaks a day. Um, most women are about. 40% deficient in protein, particularly after pregnancy, because you've given birth to a little protein ball. And uh-huh. we tend to not replenish that, you know, as we go through life. And as we say, we get older, our muscles are not as strong, we lose collagen, we lose all of that. So really making sure you're getting enough protein, and that can be nuts, cheese, eggs, yogurt, you know, all of that, making sure you have protein in every meal. And that's also going to fill you up, satiate you for a lot longer. Um, protein and healthy fats because I think when we sort of start to prepare something the first thing we do is go harder on the exercise and eat less food and it's often not optimal Um, and we all know we love to eat when you're away in the snow it's quite indulgent on all levels Um, so you know just preparing and supporting your body so fueling your body with enough you know fueling your body and with nutritious food whatever that might look for you and I just look like for you um, you know, and it could be as simple as that, as, you know, putting a little bit more protein in your breakfast. So have some eggs for breakfast or have some peanut butter on your toast. And, um, you know, a lot of people are a little bit scared and they go, I can't eat eggs. There's too much cholesterol, but you, you're not going to be eating 20 eggs a day. You know, eggs are a really nutritious source. So just start to feel your body. And again, tune into how you feel after you eat it. So you've added a bit more protein in. Are you are you you're not as hungry at four o'clock in the afternoon? Has that made a difference? Well, that might be a good thing for you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. I I love this chat. I could chat to you all day. I need to get on it because I'm ticking all your boxes of what not to do. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> so, well, I, I think especially this is fix it fast. Myself exercise eats. Wrong thing to do. <laughs> no. I think, well, I mean, everybody can get something out of it, whether you're like me and you go, okay, I'm going to start running because I've got to ski soon or whether you've got an injury or if you're a new mum and you're, which you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of time to be attending classes, especially if you don't have anyone to mind your baby and stuff. But yeah, you can certainly sit down a wall, like you say. Yeah, you sit down a wall, squat and and do some baby. Yeah. And I just think, you know, never think that just 10 minutes of exercise and movement's not going to count because if you can do that 10 minutes four times a week, that's going to add up to a lot. Mm. It's going to add up. And if you can just keep that consistency up and you don't have to be a fitness fanatic, you know, it, and that's the beauty about skiing as well. It's for everyone and there's different ways everyone prepares and, you know, you might have been doing it for years like me and think you're a pro athlete but still get out there <laughs> be in pain so you know (laughs) sliding scale isn't it where you if you're really unfit you you're gonna when you're down the snow you will feel unfit but if you feel fit you're gonna push yourself and you're gonna feel unfit there's a way you'll always find your the next level (laughs) absolutely absolutely and everyone's got a different threshold um so but I just think it's really important to just making a better connection to your body in, what, in preparing for any sort of movement, whether that be skiing or, as I said, just carrying the gear because often that's often where the injuries happen is, you know, you pull in a funny direction carrying something heavy. So if you can make sure you're going to be much better for a whole lifetime of doing that, that's what you want. I mean, I, I still admire, we go skiing with my parents. They're in their 70s and it's just such a privilege that they get to ski with their grandchildren. 
And I admire that they actually do. They prep for it. So Mm -hmm. they may not, you know, do exactly what I'm saying, but they're pretty conscious of what their body is going to have to go through or and if they fall. So um, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just bought, we just went and bought ski boots for my dad. So that was interesting because he doesn't flex in his ankle that well. And it was like, and we thought rear entries would work, but it doesn't. It actually was a three-way tongue at the front. Oh, which wow. Is a, an old technology coming back. So mm. it was kind of exciting to find that we could find that ski boot for him, So which allows him to t- still keep skiing and he's 70 as well. So that was kind Yeah, of and I think we're so lucky the technology is, um, you know, you know, just getting so like podiatrists are getting more involved in what ski sh- ski boots should be. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was really lucky, and this is where I found the best ski boot I've ever had. Was there was a guy working down in Jindabyne? Oh no, was it Jindabyne? Yeah, and he wasn't actually a podiatrist who fit my ski boots. And for the first time, he could tell me exactly what was wrong with my feet and what boot would be best. And he even was looking at a different inner to the actual boot, like to that level. So I think that's where it's, you know, it's really it's really lucky that we've got that technology and people are a little bit more specialised as well. Yeah. Well, I've got to mention that to anyone listening to this, that we have an interview with Surefoot owner, Bob. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really good. Yeah, technology is awesome. So anyway, thank you today. We finish up our interviews with um, asking where is your favourite place in the world to ski? My favourite place is actually where I first learned to ski and where I grew up skiing and where we take our children back every year is actually Charlotte Pass in um, New South Wales. No, I was a ski instructor at Charlotte's for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. So that's my favourite place in the world. No way. That's so funny. No yeah. way. Well, we that's have to have a whole other conversation. Or <laughs> Charlotte's tarts. There we go. Oh, I am. Yeah. I am. I sound so much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do, are you going back there again this year or no? Yeah. Yeah. We missed out the last two years. So we've been, I mean, I've got a very determined husband, even though he lives in Queensland. He grew up with a father that used to drive from Queensland down to New South Wales to take them skiing every year, four kids in the car, yep, like you. And (laughs) so I'm really lucky that he he makes that a real priority for us. And we get to, it's one time my kids get to see their parents from New South Wales as well and and ski with them. And so we all go back three generations, back to Charlotte Pass. And, um, yeah, it's my favourite place in the world. Mine too. I know every little nook and cranny because I was there for yeah. 10 years. But I make my kids because my hubby's a parisher skier. So we every time we're at parisher, I'm like, we're doing the day trip to Charlotte's and they used to go, oh, but now they kind of get it. So I, I just. It, oh, you'll have to come back from there. It's so great with kids to ski and <laughs> yeah. ski out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, oh, yay. Where do you stay? Where's your lodge? Where where I've we've been members of KSC for many years, Kosciuszko Alpine Club. Thanks to my grandmother. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I've seen a lot of managers go through KAC. <laughs> they do a really good job. Wow. Oh yeah. I think we've actually got a po- an episode coming up about Charlotte. So yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, like, and yeah. uh, all credit to Charlotte's. Like I must say, that's where I learned to race from a very young age too. Learn, yeah. and learn how to cross-country ski, all of it. So it's a yeah. pretty magical place, yeah. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> you don't have to convince me. Just, <laughs> I mean, everyone's going to hear this and they're going to be like, don't send any more day trips. Don't tell me what there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. That was amazing, Dallas. I'm, yeah, 
Yeah, Food for awesome. thought on different ways yeah, to think about so my much. body. Yeah. Thank you for thank having me. You're welcome. Catch you <laughs> thank later. You.